fraud dates back centuries and of course it leads to increased costs for all of us. Now the fight against fraud is of course ongoing but are fraudsters getting smarter, finding more and more ways to keep making their ill-gotten gains? Let's find out in this episode of Navigating Digital Payments. Welcome to the Navigating Digital Payments podcast, brought to you by Worldline, bringing you the latest innovations, trends and predictions about the future of payments. Hello and welcome to Navigating Digital Payments. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I'm David Daly. I look after the Discovery Hub here at Worldline and I'm delighted today to be joined by Bobby Rohrkemper, who is one of Worldline's data scientists. Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Hi, David. Thanks a lot for having me. So last time we saw each other at Disneyland and I remember we went for a run and I guess I'm here because I owe you 50 euros, right? Ah, now it's funny you mentioned that. I I actually forgot that I uh, loaned you 50 euros, I think because you arrived without any, um, had you left your wallet at home? Is that is that right, Bobby? Do I remember? I, I in fact, did leave my wallet at home. I even found myself on the train with no identity card. And fortunately, I had a second identity card from a, a second nationality hidden in my backpack. So I felt a bit like James Bond in that moment. And I got out of that and I thought I was going to be fine living in the cashless society that we have. But I did get in a bit of a bind at the hotel when I couldn't buy something at the wellness area. So so thanks a lot for covering me. And <laughs> we'll see. Maybe next time I will be a bit more cashless overall. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very welcome, and I had actually forgotten about that. But now, next time I see you, yes, I can I can remember to rec- reclaim that debt. <laughs> so, Bobby, um, really pleased to have you on the podcast, and I know this this uh, topic of, of fraud generally is a real passion and area of expertise of, of yours. So later, I really want to get your view on on this question of whether fraudsters are getting smarter. Um, but I thought it'd be nice actually to start with understanding from you more about the impact of fraud and maybe some of the new kinds of fraud that you've um, that you've been seeing emerge. So yeah, if we um, if we could kick off with that, maybe you could start by sharing a few maybe a few facts and figures about the scale of the problem that we're facing at the moment. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. I think I'll put my background a bit in perspective first. So I'm a data scientist at Worldline. I work in a fraud analytics and rule writing team. And we're we're embedded in a department of about 100 people. And this is fraud and risk management. And so what I'll talk to you about today is really our perspective. We're numbers people. We look at statistics a lot. But they're very particular to our customers. However, I will share with you a few facts about fraud globally. And these numbers are just dumbfounding to me. So back in 2011, which wasn't really that long ago, fraud was already 10 billion globally. So all kinds of fraud. And then in 2020, it ballooned to 32 billion. And so just a huge increase. And it's just expected to grow and grow. And the current projection is by 2027, it will have grown by another 25% to 41 billion. 
Wow. So if we were looking at that as an industry, and I'm not sure I would like to describe fraud as an industry, but essentially it's it's big and it's it's seeing a a huge growth rate. And so uh, maybe because you're right there at the kind of the front line of this fight against fraud, do you are you able to share a little bit about the sort of new types of fraud that that we're starting to see emerge? In our team, so we're looking at fraud on debit cards and credit cards and ATMs and also on new types of devices like mobile wallets. And so you can start to pay with pretty much any device you buy nowadays. And we just expect that trend will increase a lot. So you can pay with an Apple Watch, a Google Watch, a Garmin Watch. And so there's just all kinds of ways to pay. And I thought, you know, that would have gotten me out of that bind where I didn't have those 50 euros with me. By the way, we were not at Disneyland just for fun. We were actually working there. And so I just had to to mention that. But we see all kinds of new patterns using these new devices. And it's always a balance between customer friendliness and the customer wants to pay without problems and they're waiting for something. And I guess some of you have had the experience of having a transaction declined and needing to use a second card. So we want to avoid those kind of problems, which are not not only due to fraud. So we try to make everything really transparent for the customer. They don't really have to remember how they're paying. At a risk, I, I don't want people to think that we're being sponsored by Disneyland. <laughs> So I, I, yeah. just, I should clarify. Yeah, we were we were not at Disneyland. We, we have were, to sound serious, um, people. Yes, we, yes. we, we were we were, at an, <laughs> we were at an event um, in a hotel close to Disneyland. But I also it's occurred to me that I never mentioned to my two young daughters that we were staying close to Disneyland because I think they'd have been very very cross to discover that I was uh, I was so close. Oh, that would I hope they don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, the risk is they will now find out if they ever do come and listen to these episodes. But I think what's interesting in your answer Bobby is that of course I guess the new types of fraud also track a little bit the new payment methods and payment behaviors of, of consumers so every time that shifts there's then presumably a kind of a corresponding shift in fraud mm-hmm. what what have you seen or can you give a, any examples of maybe some of the more surprising um or unexpected ways that that fraud has been conducted i mean there are certain things that stick with me some of them we can't really share because they're part of fbi intelligence briefings that we receive those briefings are always quite vague and they're not really tied to a particular time and place, but but sometimes they're quite shocking what, what might happen. We do see some things that we also learn from law enforcement and they're pretty dark. So we, we sometimes hear about children being misused in order to withdraw money from an ATM. There's some criminal groups that use children because the children cannot be put in prison for very long if they're caught. And so it's horrible to think about, but basically these these kids are being trained to watch someone um, type a pin into an ATM or trick them by having a card fall on the floor and saying, oh, sir, you dropped your card. And then when they bent down to pick it up, the real card is quickly taken away and then the fraudster has the pin also. 
So, I mean, these kind of things happen. And I think the, the newer kinds are just more digital. They're, they're looking for vulnerabilities in the systems themselves. And the, the methods of fraud range from quite dumb to quite smart. And they have different success rates. The volume of transactions that we process just gives a lot of opportunities for fraudsters to try all kinds of different methods. And we, even in Switzerland alone, in, in a small country, we process more than 1 billion transactions per year. And so there's a, quite a big opportunity to blend in with that crowd and to do something that might not be detected easily. I think what's really striking in what you shared there, Bobby, is that it just reiterates how there is a real cost to fraud, and it's not it's not just the billions in 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 money that you mentioned earlier, but also there's a human side to this, as you say, children being used mm -hmm. uh, to to conduct criminal activities, but also, I mean, people who are defrauded, even if they in the end get their money back. I mean, often often it's quite a traumatic experience, I think, depending on 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 the individual and exactly what's happened. So, in a moment, Bobby, I really want to pick your brains about how we fight this fraud um, and maybe what some of the advances have been in, in that area. Um, but before we come on to that, I do just want to let people know that if they want to get in touch with us, if they want to propose a new episode topic or um, give us any feedback at all, you can reach us by emailing ndp-podcast at worldline.com. And also just to remind you, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast, then you'll never miss an episode and also take a moment to rate us and, and leave us a review. So yes, Bobby, coming back onto now the fight against fraud, can you share a little bit about what some of the recent advances have been in fraud detection? So fraud prevention started out as really a set of simple rules. We were looking for high transactions, strange locations, and even the first credit card transactions were not processed in real time. And now when you're at the shop, you're just used to the experience of being able to pay immediately. And we have to promote a really fast transaction speed. We need the customer to be able to pay instantly while they're waiting there. And so real-time fraud detection has been a major trend, also especially for e-commerce. If transactions are not processed instantly, the customer will abandon their shopping cart and close their web browser and go to do something else. So we have this really increased demand for instant processing, and that kind of demand extends even more to some online banking. So there we transfer large amounts of money, we need the transaction to go through quickly, and so the trend will be for instant payments. And so that's the landscape that we're working in. And we need to be able, at the same time, to have certain categories of transactions that are known to be suspicious, completely blocked, and then we need others, which are unusual patterns. We need that those are also detected, even if you don't have a lot of experience and particular examples of those fraud patterns before. And a lot of that, which I'm sure you'll have some questions about, relates to artificial intelligence and machine learning. Firstly, it really makes sense to me, Bobby, as you say, we now expect payments to be instant and 
if they're intentional, so, you know, if I'm intentionally spending my money, I just want it to be seamless and, and just happen. And, and I definitely remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it felt like whenever we went on holiday, the first time I tried to buy something, the transaction would be declined and I'd get a phone call from the bank. And that now seems to be mm -hmm. much better. Just anecdotally, it doesn't simply block a transaction in another country um, for, for the first time. That's right. And, and some banks tried to shift that responsibility to the customer so that they would need to notify the bank in advance when they were traveling outside particular countries. And that's one way to do it, but we think it's really not the best way. We want the customer to have no extra work. We want them just to be able to get on the plane, show up somewhere, and be able to pay. And you mentioned there the kind of, let's call it the, uh, the original way of doing things was to manually create rules, I suppose, that would detect a suspicious transaction. And then you talked about now moving into artificial intelligence and machine learning. Does that mean that artificial intelligence approach is replacing the need for these manually created rules? It's definitely not replacing them. It's really augmenting them. And there's many reasons for this. So one is that we're looking at new patterns. And an AI rule set is essentially something that's created from a large amount of data. And it's creating these rules that are just too many and too complicated for people to understand. But if you look really deep inside these AI models, they essentially, they also have rules. Just that they combine many more input variables than we would be able to ourselves. And so we want to take advantage of that capability, but we want to also be able to block known fraud patterns and be 100% sure that they will never happen. And so we, we always have AI models running in parallel to the existing rules. And in fact, you can even have an AI model which generates a score for the risk estimation of a transaction. And that score can then be used inside another rule. And it will then apply only in particular scenarios or for particular types of transactions. Wow. So it's really the case that the way you get the biggest improvement in fraud detection is not by abandoning rules and using AI, but rather using AI and machine learning on top of a, a sort of existing rules-based approach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for both approaches, having good historical data is really important. So we create these alerts. They get processed by a team of investigators. The investigators send some of the alerts to the banks. The banks then decide which ones they want to verify with their cardholders. And finally, we get the feedback. And those are that's considered the ground truth. And even this ground truth, sometimes it's not perfect either. Cardholders don't reply. Or it could be the cardholder is committing fraud themselves, which we would call friendly fraud. Uh, basically, the cardholder would buy an item and say, no, that wasn't me. And that would be a different kind of fraud. So we have all of these different kinds of data quality issues to deal with and across all different countries, which have different standards for data quality and even different regulatory environments where you can use certain attributes about the demographics of the cardholder and in other countries you cannot use them. So we are really working with a very diverse field of data and machine learning can help quite a lot there though there's some things that you really still need rules for. That's really interesting, Bobby. I mean, I, I guess what I'd 
also like your view on is what do you think are going to be the kind of next developments then in in terms of using AI for fraud detection? So I like to think about perception types of experiences that we have as humans. So we can look at faces, we can listen to voices, we can recognize them immediately without thinking about them. And for those types of AI, they're working quite well. It's, you would think with our data, oh, it's already in a table, you can view it in a spreadsheet or a powerful database because there's a lot of it. But in the end, it's already tabular data. So you would think, well, it might be easier, but it's really not because those types of perception tasks, which people do every day, those are things that can be broken down into pieces. And so a modular algorithm for face recognition would first segment the face from the background and then find the location of the eyes, find the location of the nose and the mouth. And you can have a different component of the algorithm running on each of those. And then you put all of the results together and you find a match. And with the type of algorithms that we're working on, it's much more difficult to segment them into modular pieces. So I think the future will be multiple algorithms working together on different parts of the transactions and using more data across more countries at the same time and also more data from devices that people are carrying with them, which they would then consent to the use of this data in order to keep themselves safe. That's really interesting, Bob. It's it's beyond my uh, level of knowledge and understanding of AI, but I can understand what you're saying, which is that for facial recognition, so another application of AI, they they modularize the use of AI, and that doing the same for fraud detection mm-hmm. could be the could be the next step. So if I would think about it in terms of a fraud detection algorithm, I would want to have a complete profile of what's normal behavior. And so if I could have an algorithm that would predict the location of the next transaction or predict the amount or the merchant or anything else about the transaction, I could then say, well, we really understand that behavior so well that we can predict it. And then we can calculate a difference between what actually happened and what our prediction was. And so that module could be used in another algorithm and it would allow us to have an additional input, which we generate ourselves. It's not that we have more insights or more external data sources. We really just take the information that we have. We build these separate models that act as profiles of normal behavior. And that profile then gets used in the master algorithm. Coming right back ground then, Bobby, to this uh... This main question we had at the start of are fraudsters getting smarter? In your view, are fraudsters becoming more sophisticated in in how they act? And and if so, what do you think the payments industry really needs to be doing about that? I think, yes, the general IT literacy in the world is increasing. People are using digital devices more every day, including fraudsters. And so they are just getting smarter and learning how to use data, I would say. And there's more opportunities. There's Everything is connected. You can pay with digital payments almost everywhere except a small area near Disneyland. And, you know, we 
do need to stay on top of this. We do quite well. The amount of fraud that we do not prevent is still quite negligible. And at the same time, we have to invest a lot to keep it at a low level. So if we would just ignore the problem and say, let's just tolerate the losses, that would be completely the wrong strategy because fraudsters would just start taking advantage of that more and more and the problem would balloon to something completely unbearable. So the industry, which I would say Worldline is keeping pace with quite well, needs to use all kinds of different data sources that are available. So you could have data from mobile devices, you can have the weather, the stock market, the transportation schedules. So anything that you can imagine could be used to make these models better and to predict what normal behavior looks like from ethical non-fraudster cardholders. And that would allow us to better distinguish abnormal behavior from fraudsters. Thank you, Bobby. I mean, I think that's a really a clear answer, essentially saying, yes, fraudsters are getting smarter, but just like the world and, and everyone around us is is getting smarter and more digitally literate. And as you say, the industry is doing a good job today, including Worldline, in fighting fraud, but, but it's a moving target. And so we have to continue to update what we're doing to always stay ahead of, of the activities of fraudsters. So thank you, Bobby. It was really, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground there. It was great to hear from you at the start about the the impacts of fraud and some of the new methods of fraud and interesting kind of new developments in how fraud is being perpetrated. And then, of course, also your real specialism um, coming to the fore on how we detect fraud and what the advances are going to be in that, especially around the use of AI and machine learning. So, Bobby, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Very welcome, David. And that just leaves me to thank uh, you, our dear listeners, for joining us once again for this episode of Navigating Digital Payments. Thank you for listening to the Navigating Digital Payments podcast, brought to you by Worldline. Join us next time to learn more about the latest innovations, trends and predictions for the future of payments.